Welcome to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast, where our goal is to provide small business owners and key decision makers with valuable nuggets to help you grow or simply improve how you run your business, ultimately looking to increase your profitability. My name is Craig Pollock. I'm the founder and CEO of FPA Technology Services, and I'm your host for this podcast. Do you ever wonder what other business owners are running up against out there? Are you too busy working in your business to work on your business? Do you ever feel like you're in this thing alone? Are you at a crossroad with your business where some new ideas would help? For nearly 30 years, I've been helping companies grow and improve their businesses by leveraging technology, whether it's software, hardware, on-prem, or in the cloud, and at the same time, building FPA into the premier IT service provider in the greater Los Angeles area. This experience has given me exposure to hundreds of businesses and all sorts of systems, and as a lifelong learner has helped me gather all I could about the ins and outs of running a business. And these are the sorts of things I want to share with you on this podcast. As a business owner, today's podcast should be quite interesting. I'm going to be speaking with Ken Keller, founder and CEO of Strategic Advisory Boards, a Southern California-based leadership advisory firm specializing in using a formal peer group process for executive learning and advancement. Ken helps improve the leadership and development capabilities of the executives that he works with. I think his LinkedIn profile says it all. Nothing worthwhile happens without accountability. These are some pretty powerful words. And as a trusted advisor myself, definitely words to live by. We're in for a great conversation around leadership, personal and professional development, networking, and the power of accountability. So here we go. Here's my conversation with Ken. Welcome, Ken Keller. Welcome to our podcast. I'm excited to talk to you about uh, what you have going on, your CEO coaching and the strategic advisory board. I've always been a huge fan and like to be able to uh, share, you know, what you have going on with, with our listeners and learn from that. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Craig. Happy to be here. I, I love talking to people like you, subject matter experts, when it comes to you know, self-improvement and how we as, as business owners can improve. And, and I think you're, you're sort of at the vortex of that, right? Like the, you know, what you do and, and hopefully, you know, you can peel that back a little bit, but um, yeah, I think that what you do is, is invaluable. So maybe you can peel back and, and talk a little bit about what you do now and maybe how, how you got to this place. Well, thank you. So um, what I do now is I bring CEOs together around a table once a month and they work on like, getting further educated in business and leadership and all those things that go with that. And then they present their progress according to a written plan. So we're, we're looking forward to uh, creating a plan, executing it, being held accountable for it, and then sharing successes as well as challenges uh, to that. So that's kind of the gist of how the monthly meetings go. And then uh, the meetings are half day. Uh, I also do coaching in between the meetings for about 90 minutes with the members, just to make sure they're on track, make sure that if there's any special needs or resources that they want, that I can put them in touch with people and so forth. So, uh, so that's kind of the, the monthly meeting rhythm. And then in the fall every year, we go on a three-day retreat where we set our goals for the next year, both personal and professional. We capture those on index cards. We laminate them and everybody can make as many sets as they need so that they can continually be reminded about what their goals are. So how, how did I get to this point? How did I get to this place where uh, now I've got three groups running. And uh, when I left corporate America after uh, some time at Nestle and Coca-Cola, uh, I went to work for a highly entrepreneurial company. I, re I refer to it fondly and not so fondly as my days at the insane asylum. Uh, there was no plan. The plan changed every day. The, the team got yanked this way, that way. Uh, and uh, after four years, uh, I had a serious case of, of whiplash, and I realized that this is just how these guys operated, and, and that was fine. It was their company, but it wasn't for me. So I started doing consulting work, advisory work, primarily in the food business where I had come from, 
And then I kind of branched out and said, you know, what I've got is, is valuable and uh, needs to be shared with other industries. So I started doing coaching and consulting work. And then I realized I was sharing the same information over and over again. I thought, you know what, I needed to leverage my time. And I started bringing people together into groups and I would only have to give the message one time to all the people. And so through the years, the program kind of morphed where we did group meetings and coaching and retreats. Uh, I've done other special workshops for my, for my clients. For example, many years ago when California instituted the mandatory sexual harassment prevention training, I brought in uh, an employment attorney who, uh, who did the first workshop for most of my clients and their management teams. So we do kind of special things like that. And Craig, you, you had asked about, you know, continual learning, uh, con continuing executive education. Um, we try to have a speaker at every meeting and the subjects are determined by the by the members of the group, uh, although sometimes I'll hear something and that will trigger a thought. But I also hand out books at the meetings and I used to hand out the same book to everybody. And then I realized there are some people more likely to read the book than others. So those that don't like to read get a very thin book for me each month. And the ones that really get into it get a much thicker book and they're all happy. Mm -hmm. Nice. And I tell them, don't worry about reading the book. That's not the, that's not the goal here. The goal is crack open the book when you're watching TV at night. See if you can't get one idea out of the book that you could put to use in your company. Just one idea. And that, that one idea may save you millions and, and billions of dollars. Um, and I'll give you an example. In one company, not a company that was a member of my group, but they were spending a lot of money on gloves. And it turns out that they were buying over 400 different type of gloves across a number of manufacturing plants. And the CEO said, well, what are we paying? And the, the, the gloves were as cheap as 99 cents and as expensive as $6. He got, he got one pair of each set of gloves with the price on them, piled them on his boardroom, brought in all of his operating division department heads and said, this is the problem we have. We need to fix it. These gloves are costing us hundreds of millions of dollars a year. We need to pick a couple of gloves and we're gonna go with that. We're gonna negotiate a national price. And um, the company as a result has saved billions of dollars through the years. So just one little idea like gloves, who would think right? Who would think that gloves would cost anything? Turns out it was a major expense item. Um, let me give you another quick example. Many years ago when the airlines were serving dinners and meals, the CEO of American Airlines, Robert Crandall, he went through the salads and realized every salad was getting one black olive, which was costing them millions of dollars. He said, what will happen if we take away the olive? Will people stop eating the salad? And the answer is, no, they will not. So he saved, again, hundreds of millions of dollars just by removing the black olive from the salad. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the, I know those are tactical things, but they set in, into motion strategies about cost savings, about getting people involved, Everything doesn't have to come on the CEO's shoulders. They should have a management team that they can rely upon. And if not, we, we work with them to make the necessary changes in the group. So that may be a long-winded uh, answer to your question, but that, that's, that's what I do all day. Okay. No, that's good stuff. I mean, I know, I, I know at the end of the day, and I've experienced a couple of your groups, you know, one of, one of the things that, that I wanted to bring up when you mentioned when you mentioned the CEO and it's where I'm trying to get to is the famous saying, it's lonely at the top, right? Yes. When you're, and I think 
that's probably one of the biggest takeaways or one of the biggest benefits. Um, certainly, you know, getting you to think differently, getting you to solve problems, obviously, uh, whatever you can do to read, you know, improve the bottom line, that's a huge plus. But uh, again, I think it's certainly, you know, I've experienced it where it's, it's as, as a sole owner or as a CEO, it's lonely. Um, and I don't mean that, you know, emotionally, I mean that from, from an ability to have frank conversations and also from an ability to be held accountable, mm -hmm. right? A lot of people are, are, it's tough for people to hold somebody above them accountable. Yes. And, and I think where, you know, your, your groups are is holding each other accountable is a huge plus, you know, for, for people in our shoes. Yes, I, I would agree with you. So let me go back to the lonely at the top. It is lonely at the top. And unfortunately, many, I, and I use the generic term CEOs, but they could be the business owner, the president, the managing partner, whatever their title is. I just call them the CEO. The CEO within the confines of their company really has nobody they can turn to and expect to get the truth out of. You know, because everybody in a company is going to be looking out basically for themselves. So often the CEO will say things to employees and not understand the impact that they have on, the, on what they're saying, the impact on the employee. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a good example. Uh, there's clients got a manufacturing facility over in Chatsworth and uh, one guy runs the production, handles the sales piece. The other guy's more the administration and purchasing. And he, the, the, the guy, the, the, the partner with the TV has TV in his office. He's got it on Fox News. And of course, in California, they do a lot of funny things with labor laws employment laws. And, th and this guy's watching Fox News, his blood pressure starts to boil and he, and he walks around the building and he says, says things he shouldn't like, this state of California is just a mess. I don't know why anybody would wanna have a business here. We ought to move this company to Nevada. Over there, they, they let you kind of do your own thing. Now, what, what is that, that message? I know he's venting, right? He's just venting. Problem is, he's got employees that are depending upon him for their livelihood to pay the rent, to pay the electric, to buy gas, buy food. And they hear that, and what do they think? He's going to sell the company. I'm going to be out right. of work. Exactly. I'm not going to have a paycheck. So we, we coach people about this. Like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you need to vent, you have my cell phone. Get in your car, drive down the street, call me. Don't be saying things to your employees that will just scare the daylights out of them. Right. So I, I can, yeah, I can, I can connect with that story. And something that I learned a while back was a very, very similar situation. I mean, not that I blurted out, we're going to move or we should move, but, um, I had a one-on-one -on -one with one of my staff and this was probably 10 years ago or so. And he said to me in, in the most polite way, he said, one of the things about you that I think is that, that you should be aware of is you think out loud. And sometimes when you do that, you say things that scare us. And it was exactly what you're talking about is like, I, I was just sharing with people that I thought could handle the truth, you know, the old Jack Nicholson line, right? You can't handle the truth um, because it's, it's, it is, it's, it's all about how do they see it? And they don't see it from the same perspective that we see it. No, no, they don't. No, they don't. So that, so we, we, we do our best Craig to end this lonely at the top syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's a disease really. Um, we, we do our best to end that. Uh, I make myself available to, to my CEO clients so they can call me or meet with me or Zoom with me or whatever they like, uh, pretty much whenever they need help. Sometimes I have to reach out to them because I think that they're in trouble. Uh, they may say something or not say something, or I'll ask the question, 
So like last month, you talked about doing A, B, and C. So where are you on A, B, and C? Well, I haven't made any progress. Well, that, that means that we need to have a conversation. You don't have to make a lot of progress. You just need to make some progress. You raise the topic. You got input from myself and the other CEOs around the table. And uh, you know we're not here to just be your therapists. We expect for you to, whatever medicine we deliver, you got to start moving on. Now, if it's not the right time, you can say that. You can say, hey, I got the input. I wrote it all down. I appreciate it. I'm going to have to put that whole thing on hold for another three months, but I'm going to come back to it. Please, please uh, talk about it in April and I make a note and put it on the agenda for April. So there's a little bit of that. Um, you know, these people, and you know this, Craig, firsthand. The people in the groups tend to become friends. And I always temper that with, you have an obligation to be diplomatic and candid and tell each other the truth. And, and you're not gonna hurt anybody's feelings when you tell the truth. So, because we've got, to, we've got to measure the success of each individual business that's in this peer group by the numbers. And if things aren't working out, then you've got to call out somebody. Mm -hmm. So they're all adults. They get it. You know, I'm very careful about who I put into groups these days. Uh, there, there was a time that I would, you know, basically put anybody in a group. It was more of a, Hey, I need the money. I need like an animal house. We need the dues. I realized that that was a mistake that I'd rather have five or six people around the table that were committed to the process than six people who were committed and six had one foot in and one foot out. Right. So small, small, intimate groups is is what I now do. So, are there any um, like key characteristics or or the you know that the type of CEOs that that you find more successful with this? Is there a certain mindset? Um, um, how how would you define you know who who those those people are that you'd want to work with versus the ones that you're sort of hesitant to? The first kind of bar, the first hurdle is that they recognize that they need help. It's like this, this, this is like, you know, I was working for a large company, this opportunity came up, I bought this smaller company and I had no idea what all the responsibilities were as the CEO of this place. Um, whether it's the HR stuff, the quality stuff, uh, I, I have a relatively new client who had worked in several large corporations uh, in, uh, in the aerospace defense world, bought a company kind of that was made of nothing except for a name and had a building about three years ago. He's grown it. He's, he's making money, has good cash flow. He knows nothing about human resources laws, which of course in California is a land, land mines everywhere everywhere <laughs> no question yeah yeah that so that he's and he, he actually kind of said hey i understand or i've heard from somebody that california is requiring some kind of 401k plan pretty soon do you know about that and i said well i i i heard about it and i can put you in touch with some people that can clarify yeah that would be helpful so you that's the that's the first tipping point is i don't not that I'm ever going to know everything I need to know, but I need somebody to steer this, help me steer this ship through the shoals and the currents so that I can, I can get to the right port. So, um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is they have to be open to learning. And I know that different people learn different ways. Reading a book is great or a magazine or an article or watching a YouTube video going to a workshop, a seminar, and taking uh, college classes at night even, or a Saturday um, extension course, all that is great stuff. And, and people need to, need to do that. And they need to do it not just for themselves, but they need to do it for their companies. Because the, uh, if you want a company to grow, the leader has to grow first. And the people around them have to see that the owner's committed to professionally and personally get better, right? So yeah. 
uh, and, they, and I'm not saying they have to brag about it. Mm-hmm. They don't have to put the diploma up on the wall, but they need to let people know that the status quo is not going to move us forward. We've got to, we've got to get better as individuals. The, and then the, then the department gets better and the company gets better. And, that, and that's, that's how we can make progress. So those are, the, those are two things. The third thing is the person has to be coachable. So what, what does coachable look like to you? What does that mean? Well, the, the, fir- the, first, the first thing is we don't want any jerks in the group. So you got to be a nice <laughs> okay. person. Okay. Now we understand people get mad and angry. And I mean, that, that kind of goes with territory. But um, everybody in my group, everybody's equal. I don't care what size your business is. It's a, it's a level playing field. Some of my competitors don't treat everybody equally. And uh, I'm aware of that because I've had a few of those people join my groups telling me, oh, I actually get airtime in this group. Yeah, we all get kind of equal airtime around the table. So uh, no jerks, that's kind of the rule. And then coachable meaning I'm open to what you have to say. I may not, I may not agree with you. I may not do it, but I am here to learn and grow and, uh, and, and we all know, Craig, not only do people learn differently, but they also process and implement mm-hmm. on their own timetable. Right. Uh, you're in technology. You're probably an early adopter. I, I was saying to myself this morning, I, I was looking at this old iPhone. And you know what? I, I'm like a late adopter on everything. Mm-hmm. But it works for you. But right? it works for it works for right. me. I just... I, it just takes me a while to, to, well, I'll give you a good example. I was on the phone today uh, with a uh, uh, healthcare benefits provider or insurance broker um, on supplemental social security plans. And I just said to her, you sent me this and this and this and this. I said, I know that's all easy for you. It's, it's not easy for me. So take me through the steps. What is part A of Medicare? What is part B? And I wrote it, wrote it all down. I'm, I'm sure that she's using the lingo every day and boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom. But for me, I've got to process it and try to figure it out. So, um, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with people processing at slower rates and even executing maybe even slower rates, slower than that, but they've got to execute. I've, and I've had people in the groups in the past, their, their sons or daughters, or the COOs, they would come to me and say, you know, my boss goes to these meetings and nothing changes. And I'm like, what do you, what would you like for me to do? Tell him he's got to change. He's, he's in the group for what, for whatever reason, you need to find out why he's in the group. And, and I, and I have some idea and I, I may be wrong. Um, but if you want him to, to learn something specific, you can say, hey, what at your next meeting, why don't you see if you can't get a speaker on this subject? You learn about it and bring it back to us. So there's a little bit of managing up there, right? But I've had people that that come to the group and they're active contributors. But what they do is they're just kind of looking around. And I know, I know they're simply comparing their business to other businesses. How are we doing? How are, and they, but they may not have any interest in changing. Mm-hmm. Their business model may be set. They may they may be of a certain age where they're not interested in risking anything. Um, and to some extent, again, it comes back to my friends are there. I feel safe and comfortable being with them. Uh, I may not open up. I may not. You know, I may I may take take the advice and write things down, but I may not implement it. Uh, and I'll give you. A good example, there's a gentleman, he's now, he's now passed, his son is running the business. His son was always kind of slotted to, to run the business. It's third generation now. You know, this is a 60-person company, mm-hmm. and nobody was really handling HR. And he's in California, so you know, it's again, it's, it's, about, <laughs> it's, just, it's a battle. It's just field, a right? disaster waiting to happen. It, it is. It, I just yeah. said, this is, this is a class action lawsuit waiting to happen, and probably mm-hmm. more than one. Uh, he was talking about, you know, well, we 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 pay our 
employees pretty good. We, you know, we pay them between X and Y on an hourly basis. And I'm looking at the guy and I'm thinking, you know, there's some amendment to the constitution about outlawing slavery. So I think that his wage, wage thing fit into that slavery category. And so what I ended up doing, Craig, is I went on the internet and I, and I found some resumes of HR managers that were, that were bilingual, that had hands-on experience in, in kind of blue collar companies. Mm -hmm. And I, hand, I, I, I handed them the resumes at the meeting. I said, I said, I talked to these three people. They would love to talk to you about your company. What did he do? Nothing. Didn't do anything. Okay. He was he was happy in his apathy. Right. So 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 back to your original question. What do I look for? Well, I don't I don't look for those people. I look to avoid those people. But I do I do ask some questions to make sure that I don't get those uh, those those folks uh, in a group, people who are who are too comfortable for their own good. No, and that sort of ties into a question that I had here, which is, I don't even know if it's a question, but just a statement, which is, I've always loved your LinkedIn description, right? And every time I see it, it, it just reminds me, um, you know, and the description that I'm talking about is if you go to LinkedIn and you go to Ken Keller, right underneath it, where everybody else says operations manager or CEO or VP, yours says nothing worthwhile happens without accountability. That's right. And, yeah, and I, I I think that is such a strong statement and so representative, right? That's what got me excited when I first met you, was here's somebody who who gets it, right? Like because at the end of the day, running our businesses, there's all different reasons why, right? There, we we all have different purposes. We're really not going to achieve all that we can achieve without accountability. And, right. and like you said earlier, right, it's lonely at the top and yeah. nobody's holding us accountable. So having something like that or having a partner like you, an advisor like you is, is huge. So it, it is, Craig. Thank you. Yeah, it, it is. And so that is the cornerstone of our meetings. So we require people to have a plan and they have to update it. So, so you, you probably know um, most people have a business plan when they start out their business or maybe when they're getting a loan from the bank or mm -hmm. something, somebody requires them to have a plan. So they put something together. It, it looks really nice. It's three old punch put in a binder, goes up on the shelf or maybe in a drawer and it's never, it's never uh, opened up again. Right. It collects dust. Mm -hmm. So with our, with what we, we call the strategic growth navigator, um, it's a one page business plan, front side of it's an Excel spreadsheet leading indicators, financial results, strategies and tactics to achieve your financial results. So everybody's got to update the plan every month before the meeting, they present it at the meeting, and then they go and update it after the meeting. So they're touching it at least three or four times during the course of a 30-day period. Mm -hmm. Now, there was a reason I created this thing specifically and that was because we would be, and, and you're, you're familiar with this, you get a bunch of business owners around the table and they're talking about the, the latest thing, this vacation, or I'm buying that boat, or looking at a, a vacation home, or uh, adding a second floor to my house, or all that stuff. And it's all kind of good news around the table. And then they say, well, so how, how are things in business? Oh, they're doing pretty good. Okay, that's good. Now I'm wondering why my invoice hasn't been paid for 60 days mm -hmm. if everything is so good. Right. So I created the strategic growth navigator with, with the financials on it so that if there was trouble, I would be able to see it. And if there was an issue with them paying the bill and numbers were good, I could say, We've got, to, we've got to talk about this because something is not right here. Mm -hmm. you're, you're doing really well, but my bill's still not paid. So um, that has become kind of the protein of the meetings, the strategic growth now. 
people swear by it. I've got a guy in one of my groups, he does alternative financing, uh, primarily in the apparel industry. They kind of came out of the factoring business and now they right. do other kinds of financial products, but it's owned by a, by a private equity company. And uh, he uses it to run his division and he presented it uh, to, the, to the board and they loved it. So now they're using that thing in all the operating companies. Hey, for a private equity company to jump on something like that, that says something. So, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty proud of that. And uh, people have a license to use it. And so, so I'm good with that. So, but yeah, it's all about accountability. What is your plan? How are you doing? What help do you need? We also celebrate successes. Business owners are horrible about that. They don't do it. They, they go, oh, that was great. And then let's move on to the next thing and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we just finished climbing Mount Everest. Can we just take a little bit of breather here and a few pictures, maybe pop a can of beer, uh, have a birthday cake or something and celebrate before we go on to the next thing. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's what it's really all about. And, and the, the Strategic Growth Navigator is built so that if you need financing, you can take that into your banker or whoever. Mm-hmm. If you're going to sell your company, that can be a document that they can kind of get a good feel for the business. And the other thing is for people, and not everybody that's a CEO is financially oriented. We oftentimes get salespeople, right? Or technical people. It, it's a good way for them to keep track and uh, on the pulse of the business. Right. One, of the, one of the guys uh, in one of the groups laid out laid out his plan this was probably five or six years ago and he said holy toledo until i got this thing laid out i didn't realize we were losing money every month yet all i heard was how great we were doing because and again he's a sales guy mm-hmm. so his he's thinking well i keep increasing my sales numbers things must be good right. not necessarily right leaky boat yep yep or, or leaky bucket so so that's that's really the, uh, the, again, the protein of the meetings. Right. So, I mean, tons of success. You keep giving great examples of, of different ways that you're helping people. Have, have you, can you give us an example of somebody that, that it didn't work out or they didn't listen or, or you know, <laughs> I, I would assume that somewhere along the line, you know, you ran into a speed bump here or there. Just curious right. what, what that kind of looks like. Um, I I can give you two examples of two gentlemen who are in the same strategic advisory board. They're, they're, they're both really nice guys. I like them a lot. And they had, uh, they had companies kind of old school industries, old school kind of companies. So the, the first guy, the first guy, family owned business, his father had founded the business. So he's, He's running the business and he was distracted. Um, He was distracted from his business because um, he'd done so well at it. The business model was so strong that he spent all of his time buying property Mm -hmm. and buildings. So, and that was okay. I mean, that was okay. I mean, I get that. Uh Um, And he, you know, turns out he's a very wealthy guy now. Um, but he, but he would come to the meetings, uh, and, and apologize that his financials were behind, even though what I could see is there was no real reason why they couldn't have the numbers like second week after the month closed. Right. And I said, you know, something's just not right here. And as it turns out, his controller was embezzling from him big time. And so, and it was kind of like, it was, so it was a yellow flag for a long time, Mm -hmm. but the owner, the CEO said to himself, and he didn't say anything to the group, you know what? I I really just don't want to go there. I don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And, and finally his son stepped up and caught the guy. He ended, the guy ended up leaving the country, having embezzled millions of dollars through the last 20 years or whatever it was. And it was a mess because they had to go back and refile all their income taxes, 
the whole bit. It was just a, it was just a mess. The FBI got involved. Homeland Security got involved. Everybody got involved because the the money the gentleman stole was wire transferred out. Mm-hmm. So there could have been money laundering. Federal offense, right? Federal offense. Okay. So that was one. That that's that's like when when it's that's status- a pretty pretty extreme <laughs> failure. Although it it happens, I know that it's happened. It, yeah, it, a couple it times. It happens yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one example, and that was just that was just a sad case. The owner CEO not wanting to deal with what I would call an underperforming employee. Mm-hmm. The second example, the CEO, also rapidly growing company, in the working with consumers and homeowners, I guess is the best way to put it. He said in one of the meetings, does anybody know somebody who knows anything about California workers' comp? And I said, yeah, I can I can get some, some people. Um, mm-hmm. Right. He said, okay, that would be great. If you could, you could send me a couple people, uh, that, would, that would be magnificent. So I did, but he never, I didn't bring it up again after I made the introductions and he, did, he never said a word about it. His company continued to grow. And then I was uh, up early one morning. Actually, I'm up early every morning, but I was reading a new, the local newspaper and I get a text message from a guy in his strategic advisory board who says, Are you, did you look at this newspaper on page three, lower right-hand corner? And I, you know, I read the paper very quickly. So I go back to that paper that, look at that page. The guy had been arrested for insurance fraud and was spent the weekend down at the Twin Towers in LA and, mm-hmm. with, and the, the bail was set at $5 million. So <clears throat> it was later reduced. He was let go out of jail, et cetera, et cetera. But what had happened was rather than deal with the problem of in high California workers' comp rates, he basically said, all my employees in California are going to be independent contractors. And that's that. Problem solved. Okay. But it caught up to him. Right. And the rest of the group, after after he was, you know, arrested, by the way, he was arrested, his COO was arrested, the payroll lady was arrested. They all said, you know, he brought up that issue like a year ago, never said another word about it. You know, we need to kind of step up our game here. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, me too. I should have made a note, should have followed up with the guy. I thought that he had the situation handled. Well, in his mind, he did. You know, I handled it. I fired all my employees and hired them all back as independent contractors. And uh, that that was pretty much the beginning of the end of his business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. So, 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 yes, had some failures. Yeah. So, so. Tell me something, you know, I want to get into sort of your mindset around some of this stuff. I'm, I'm curious, like what, what drives you to do this? What, what, what do you, you know, where does your passion come from? My, my why Craig is I'm all about helping private enterprise in America. It's the small and mid-sized business owners that, that make things hum. Yeah. Tesla, Google, Apple, the airlines, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're, all, they're all great. We need them all. But if you, if you go around any major city, you'll find that there's just a lot of small and mid-sized businesses that, that are employing the people and providing the goods and services to most of America. So I'm all about helping those businesses be more successful. And it becomes a force multiplier in terms of economic development. Mm-hmm, for right? sure. Yep. So <clears throat> you have a company, it's you do well, you, you grow the top line, you keep your expenses down, you reinvest back into the company, uh, you pay your people well, uh, you add to the payroll. <clears throat> that allows people to live better lives, whether uh, 
They go from renting an apartment to renting a house, to buying a condo, to buying a house, to buying new cars, uh, taking vacations. Their kids are in school. They, they're, they're learning. Their kids go to college. You know, it's just this big economic multiplier. So that, that's really what I'm all about. And I will share with you, uh, we had a meeting just the other day of my manufacturing group, and we were just talking about, you know, what's one of the problems that these folks are having? And they all, they all agreed, <clears throat> getting new employees that are qualified is number one problem. Mm-hmm. And number two, they're all worried to death about losing people. Right. So I, I just asked, I said, look, I, I know that not everybody is interested in this among your workforce, but let me just ask you, let's just take your management team. How many of those people have bought a home? And they kind of looked at me and like, why are you asking that? And I said, look, here's the deal. If, if you don't have a home, you're not really part of the community. And you don't really have roots. Yes, your parents live there, your brothers and sisters, cousins, aunts and uncles live there. But if you don't have a home, you're always going to be at the mercy of a landlord mm-hmm. who, who will raise rents and or sell the house out from under you or whatever it might be. You, your people want stability. And having a house brings stability into a family. Right. So I'm not saying lend the money. I'm I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, if you if your people don't have a house, consider them looking for a job somewhere where they can't afford to buy a house. And, and it just so happens there was a, a guy there, company is uh, down in the valley, lives here in Santa Clarita. He said, in January, one of our, one of our guys, the only guy who wasn't living in a house, or buying a house, mm-hmm. um, started looking for a job. And I said, well, tell me about it. He's married, got a one-year-old. I said, what do you think the conversation was between Christmas and New Year's at that household? Right. It, it wasn't about Santa Claus. It was about the wife saying to the husband, we need to buy a house. And they looked around and realized maybe on their salaries, they couldn't afford one in Los Angeles or Southern California, the guy ended up taking a job in Southern uh, Washington state mm-hmm. where he can afford to buy a house. Right. So that, that's, I, I'm all about, hey, you wanna have good employees, help, help them buy a house, figure out a way, um, and that way people will, will stay with you. There, there's, a, there's a level of commitment that you don't, uh, you don't have it unless you're, you're in a house. Right. So no, that's a, that's a great point. And I think that, um, I mean, for me personally, you know, one of our, uh, one of our core values is build something bigger than ourselves. And my viewpoint of that is exactly what you spoke of. Not necessarily how do I figure out how to get everybody a house, but when people come up to you as a business owner and go, Oh, you're successful. I'm like, eh, you know, like you said, I don't celebrate the wins enough, but to me, my success is I have 22 people employed, people who've been with me a long time, people who've grown, people who have bought homes, who've gotten married, had kids. And, and all, like you said, all of that is this economic driver that our company has been able to create. And that's the win. I mean, the other side of the coin is the win of all the clients that we help out and help right. their businesses do the same sort of thing. Right. But I think at the end of the day, you know, yeah, what is our purpose? What is our why? And for me anyway, and it sounds like similar to you, there's got to be some passion behind that. There's got to be some some real meaning. It's It's not about, oh, we made a lot of money this year. Uh, the company's successful because we made right. it's what do we who are we impacting and how are we impacting them exactly and and, and that's that to me that's that's the mark of success so i i totally hear what you're saying there so how do you how do you keep that passion up how do you you know go through how do you help some of your groups celebrate how do you 
maybe even hold them accountable to successes, right? Like, I'm curious how you, you do that. Well, um, we, we do a couple things in, in our regular monthly meetings. We, we, we have time for sharing successes. And it can be a small success or a big success. It doesn't really matter. Um, but we give we give we have time for that. And uh, I'm I'm willing to bet that some of them uh, aren't thinking much about that until we get into the room, mm -hmm. and I kind of start going around the table. So um, that that's one way. And the other way is when we do our retreat in the fall, we give everybody an opportunity to share kind of looking back over the course of the year, not just business successes, but also personal successes. So we, 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 we work on that and we do some, I'm, I don't wanna say I'm not big on this. I, it, it's, a, it's an important part, but, but we do some personal activities and that's where they can share and talk about things in smaller groups as, as opposed to a presentation or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but we do, but we do recognize and we we acknowledge, we acknowledge that it's kind of up to them. I don't force them to share their successes. Right. Um, I've noticed the older people get, the more personal successes they're willing to share, mm -hmm. as as opposed to as opposed to business successes. Right. I can. And see that's that. okay. Right. It's okay. Yeah. Right. Being this subject matter expert, being this, I, I don't want to. Uh, just throw out the word guru, but you know, you're definitely a thought leader in this area. But um, like, have you had any aha moments where you've learned from these situations where you're like, oh, I didn't, didn't realize, okay, you know, you're only yeah. connecting the dots. In answer to your question, it, it's taken me a long time, but I finally figured out the best way for me to learn something. Okay. And that is to be in the audience while there's a speaker presenting. Mm-hmm. And that way I'll take notes, thinking about my perspective, the long-term, uh, whatever you might want to call that. So that was one big aha for me because for a long time, it was like, oh my God, I got to read all these books. Well, I like reading books as much as the next person, mm -hmm. but uh, too many business books in a row and you're falling asleep in five minutes. So uh, I'm, I'm much more selective now about, about what I read, although I've got tons of books on the office walls around here, as you do, as you do as well. Right. Um, so um, I get aha moments also just observing, just observing things. So uh, when I was uh, 16, I worked at McDonald's for a year. And well, you so were, you, were, uh, you were nine months longer than I made it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I stayed there. I stayed there for a year, and then I realized I was going to college. So I needed to save up some money, so I got mm -hmm. a I got a better paying job. But it was good experience. But I but I remember one of the things that they would have everybody do, and that's what they call a lot check, mm -hmm. where you run around with the broom and the dustpan, and you pick up all the trash that people toss into the parking lot. Um, and uh, and I noticed it one morning. I was going through Starbucks. It was like quarter to seven. And lo and behold, they had people out there sweeping up and, and stuff. And I thought, you know, this is kind of one of the business basics, mm -hmm. right? A lot of, lot of, a lot of retailers, even, even manufacturing companies don't think about cleanliness as uh, really as a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, when I, when I was in high school, um, there were like all the burger and, and taco places were all reasonably close together. And so I remember there was a, a guy I knew in high school and he made the comment, um, I buy my food at Jack in the Box because I think it tastes better, but I eat it in the McDonald's lot because it's cleaner and nicer. Mm, so Interesting. Yeah, 16 year old kids, what, what do they know? Well. He recognized that cleanliness was was important. So, but yeah, I get I get ahas and I get ahas just just listening to people in the group give their updates. Mm -hmm. This happened, or I did this, or I'm going to do that. 
it's it's uh, I'm like a sponge that way, and it's good. And yeah, by the way, e- even in our provisors meetings, mm-hmm. I would when we were meeting in person, I didn't say very much. I was just observing what people were saying and thinking, and what I was thinking for the most part was, okay, so and so's talking. Which one of my clients do I need to introduce this person to? And it was kind of like going around, going around the room like that. And and because if I found it interesting, it might be uh, valuable for my clients. So you know what's interesting is like you could you could be sitting there reading my notes because my next question or my next area that I wanted to go into was talking to to you about your networking skills and, and what you're doing out there networking and. The, the way that I see it is exactly the way that you described it is, is you network, not, not with the goal of how can I meet somebody for my benefit, i.e. you, uh, but you think about how can I connect two people together? And, and that's, that's a constant thing that I've seen over the last, I don't know, X number of years that we've been working together that it's always about how can, you know, what does this person have that this person might need? Or what does this person have that this person might need? And you're always about making that connection. And I think that's, it's, it's, it's something that I noticed. I, I, I know a lot of people in the provisors world knows that. Um, but that, that's a, a compliment. That's a kudo to you that it's, it's not about you. It's about how can I learn and, and help others? And I think that's just, that's such a strong uh, characteristic to have. So uh, I think, I think that's awesome. Th- thank you, Craig. I, when I, when I first joined, uh, provisors, which was like my second networking group, there was a local mm-hmm. group up here where I lived. But, and by the way, um, you know, when you're in corporate America, your network is in your industry and that's pretty much it. So, right. um, what I realized, and most people realize this, when you leave your corporate America job, you, you, you're like, as Davis Blaine would say, you're naked without a network. Mm-hmm. So you need, you need to create a network and a lot of it's trial and error. And so when I joined Provisors back in, I think it was 2005, 2006, my whole, my whole thing was, um, this is gonna be a great place to find resources for my clients. And it's turned out to be true. Uh, I remember I remember work, meeting somebody who worked for Al Landiger, and then she introduced me to Al. Mm-hmm. And Al's kind of been my go-to employment law guy. Yeah, uh, no question. Back all those <laughs> years. Right. So, and that and that's he's a good guy, and I have no no hesitation uh, introducing him. But I do have a goal. I set a goal. Uh, at the beginning of the year that I wanted to meet one new person a day. And wow. the reason, yeah, it's, <laughs> that's, you know, that's, not, a, that's, not, that's a hag. <laughs> it is a BHAG. I'm not, but I'm not keeping score. Right. But, I will, but I'll share with you last week, I met, I did a presentation in person. There were 14 people in the group. I knew two of them already. So I met 12 new people that day. All right. Well, that's two weeks oh. worth. There you and, go. Yeah. And that, and that you know, <laughs> exactly. Right. So, um, and that's what I do. And so I, what I try to do is when I'm talking to somebody, I try to figure out, okay, who, who can they introduce me to now? I, I know that, you know, that I joined the West side group, mm-hmm. provisors group, which is run by Sharon Rich. I, I'd always kind of thought Sharon was mistakenly thought that she was a competitor of mine. She sells some of the same stuff I do, but she's not. Mm-hmm. But, but what I found out in talking to her the first time I talked to her is that even though she has a house in Long Beach, she's really headquartered up in Arroyo Grande. And I said, oh, well, how long have you been up there? She said, well, you know, the first week of the quarantine. Mm-hmm. So it's been two, two plus years. Okay, who do you know? She said, I don't know anybody. I said, well, I know some people up there. Let me make an introduction. So I've introduced her to a couple of people and she's very grateful for it because she's basically starting to network from nothing. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, what I, that's all I'm trying to do. It's just trying to find people to, to connect. 
um, I um, trying to remember exactly how it came about, but I somehow got connected with a guy who does uh, tax credits for research and development. Mm-hmm. R&D tax credits. R&D yep. tax credits. And I and I'd heard about these things years ago. Um, anyway, I was happy to introduce that guy to one of my clients, one of my few manufacturing clients who, who didn't have or wasn't taking advantage of those tax credits. So I'm just constantly always trying to, hey, you need to meet so-and-so. I mean, and, and candidly, Craig, um, in the Westlake Village group, the last couple of years, and I know we're in COVID and all that stuff, but if I just said, hey, if you guys know a business owner that I could meet, that would be great. I didn't get even get that. Mm-hmm. So not that it's a bad group. It's not a bad group. It's a good group. But I just want to meet people. And I and I... I don't have to talk to them for very long. If they're idiots and jerks, then I can get out of it very quickly. But <clears throat> I'm just interested in meeting people, right? That's and and helping them. And I and I and I said to somebody the other day, you know, I try to end every every meeting I have with, "How can I help you?" Mm-hmm. So when I gave that talk last week to that uh, group of business owners, I handed out my card, I shook their hand, I said, "Listen, you think if you need help." Give me a call. If I don't, if I don't know somebody, if I can't help you, I'll tell you. But chances are, I know somebody that can help you. Right. Chance, no question. Chances are, I, I know how well you do out there networking. So, just uh, we're coming up on our time frame here. I just want to, uh, you know, give you a heads up. But just a couple more questions, real quickly. Okay. So. Uh, I don't know what you're hearing out there, but certainly all the news is is talking about a potential recession coming up in Q3, Q4. Uh, I've talked to some people. They say it might be more like um, uh, stagnation rather than, you know, uh, inflation. I'm just wondering, you know, are you are you seeing or hearing anything out there in your groups? What do you what do you think of the next couple of months or, you know, next year? Well, uh, one of my clients for many years um, founded and ran a bank. And he was always talking about the, uh, the, the curve where um, I think called the inversion curve or the curve gets inverted about uh, short-term versus long-term. And he said, when you get to that point, you're going to have a recession. I remember him telling me this in 2007. Mm-hmm. So we passed that point just a few months ago. So I'm I'm anticipating, I'm I'm anticipating a slowdown in the in the economy. And and Craig, just on a local basis, gas prices six dollars six fifty a gallon. Yeah, almost seven. It's crazy. Almost seven. And and yeah. the funny weird thing is, before when gas would get like over four dollars a gallon the freeways would just empty out mm-hmm. i mean people would just stay home and the freeways are packed they're packed it's just it's, it's astounding to me mm-hmm. and i that's one of my that's kind of one of my leading indicators another leading indicator for me is how do the uh not the fast food and not the high end but just the middle the middle tier of restaurants mm-hmm. how, how are they doing they in my opinion, just a casual observation, is that things are slowing down for them, even on the weekends. Um, for the manufacturing group, metal prices are on the rise. The They're not able, these manufacturers are not able to pass on these cost increases, so their margins are shrinking, mm-hmm. which is not good. Um, there's a lot of people who are out of work, uh, probably out of choice. Uh, but people are people are not um, people are jumping at, at you know a dollar an hour or whatever uh, they're jumping employers. So yeah, I I sense that um, there's going to be a slowdown probably by the end of the year. It, I think it's going to it's not going to happen suddenly. It'll be gradually. I think mm-hmm. we're already kind of into it. That's my take. 
And the other thing is, inflation is the only way you're going to get inflation down is when interest rates are higher than the rate of inflation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I go back to the Jimmy Carter stagflation, Ronald Reagan. I mean, I, I remember when Reagan was president, there was a guy I worked with. He bought a house and the interest rate was like 19%. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Back in the early, late seventies, early eighties, it was 18, 19%. And they did that. They did that to get inflation down and it took Mm -hmm. five years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, I think that that's, that's kind of where we're headed economically. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different factors uh, uh, putting pressure on all of this between, we're still in a pandemic and, you know, the restaurants took a huge hit, right. And they're just bouncing back. And now we have this, you've got, you know, the elections where there's lots of unknown markets overvalued. We got this war in Ukraine. I didn't even realize that Ukraine provided like 40% of the grain of the world. Like, Like there's so many sort of things that are all feeding into this. And how do we, how do we manage our way out of this and, it just might be one of those things that we just have to, we just have to work through. But I, I agree. I mean, I, and I just wanted to see, you know, anecdotally, if you'd seen anything or heard anything and, and where we're heading, because I think that's, as business owners, that's something that we need to be proactive about and, and plan around, right? What does this mean? Yes. And how do we yes. get in front of it? Yeah. So uh, last, last few questions. Um Tell me, tell me something about you that, you know, most people wouldn't know if you don't mind sharing. It doesn't have to be super personal, but is there any sort of quick anecdote or something about you that somebody, you know, out there might not know about you? Um, <laughs> well, um, I put myself through college and MBA school by myself. Nice. That's so pretty that, impressive. That's, that's something. My mother died right. when I was 13. Wow. She left, she left eight kids. I was in the middle. Kids. I ended up oh my getting God. my younger. Right. I got I got the two, the two at the end were my sisters, got both of them through high school and one of them through college. So um, my dad has been married, was married like six times. And, uh, Interesting. and, you know, getting into Mickey Rooney territory uh-huh. there, um, I held off getting married until I was 35. And Don and I have been married for 32 years. Nice. Congratulations. So those are some things. I, mean, I'm a, I think, you know, I'm a cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, um, let's see what else. Oh, my house is paid off. That's great. That was, that's, that's, good that's, that's pretty rare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just that's a good decided time. that it was, that was, you know, every couple of years I get like the BHAG mm-hmm. and one, one year was get the house paid off. So nice. So, you know, my wife, that's what she wants. Yeah. yeah. It's just a great feeling. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, those right. are some things. Well, thank you for sharing those. Those are interesting and certainly brings a little, a uh, little bit more clarity to who you are and how, how you became you. Um, so any, any last parting advice or any, any parting advice for any business owners out there that you'd care to share? Well, uh, um, you know, just two things. Um, you know, if, if you're not in a peer group, get in a peer group. I don't care what the brand name is. You gotta, you gotta, uh, ha- find your tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, what's the African saying? If you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to get there safely, go in a group. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think every business owner, needs to find a group. And then the second thing is, I would just ask everybody, hey, look me up on LinkedIn and follow me. I post something educational and inspirational every day uh, in the morning while the coffee's brewing. And uh, uh, you get your get your dose of motivation for me at uh, 6, 7 a.m. Yeah, I, I have to concur with that. That's you're, you're one of the guys that I look forward to checking out my LinkedIn stream to see what today's uh, words of wisdom are, and you know, some some of them have been, they're just you know my own aha moments. Uh, so definitely have to thank you for that. But I would definitely recommend that as well. Um, well, I appreciate it, Ken. This has been a great conversation. Definitely a lot of nuggets here. 
Uh, I'm sure my listeners will get a, a lot of information out of this. And I, I truly appreciate not only your time that you shared with me here, but, you know, just you in general. I think that um, we, we've done some stuff in the past, but your go-giver sort of mindset and attitude is is something I try to emulate. So I appreciate that. I look up to you and thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Craig. And that was Ken Keller, founder and CEO of Strategic Advisory Boards. I hope you found the conversation as interesting as I did. It's always great to dive into the mind of a subject matter expert like Ken. There were certainly a lot of nuggets there. And I think you'd have to agree, his approach to accountability and working well with others is a key to success. Thanks again, Ken, for your time and sharing all your great thoughts with our listeners. If you'd like to find out more about what Ken has to offer or want to connect with him, check out the show notes for more details. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. To learn more about this episode or hear previous episodes, check out the show notes at www.fpainc.com podcast. And if you like today's show, please do us a favor and share it with your friends. We'd really appreciate getting the word out there. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, please do give us a review. Again, we'd really appreciate that. You can also write to us at podcast at fpainc.com. And if you want to send us a tweet, our handle on Twitter is at fpainc. I'm Craig Pollock, and you've been listening to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast. And remember, with FPA, it's always about business before technology. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.